Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to our episode and welcome to Soda State of the Arts. I don't know why I'm singing this. My name is Sarah Kensler and I am a co-host on this podcast that you're listening to right now. I'm Jason McKenzie and I also co-host this podcast. You do. That's mm-hmm. true. Hi. Hi, Jason. Hello. Hi. Thanks. I'm so glad that we're here today together, kind of in spirit. Yes. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me because we're co-hosts. So we do we invite each other anyway. So today's episode is going to focus on the Gorilla Girls. Here's here's what happened during the first wave of shelter in place orders. Jason and I had talked about, well, what were we going to do? Like, you can only cover COVID so much in the arts. People were losing their jobs. Artists didn't have any way to share their works. If you were performance artists, you know, you couldn't do that anymore. The live theater was having issues. And so we covered that a little bit, but we ultimately had decided we were going to do a series of kind of, you know, lighthearted but informative episodes. And one of the first ones that we recorded was a history of the Gorilla Girls. And the Gorilla Girls are a group of women who are either artists themselves or are in the arts. They create works that criticize the use of women as object, lack of women artists, lack of representation, etc., in museums and artistic institutions. And they adopt the names of famous women artists for their names while they are part of the Gorilla Girls. And then George Floyd was killed, and it no longer seemed appropriate to just drop an episode about the Gorilla Girls. Yes, we we shifted our focus and our approach into educating ourselves in anti-racist thinking and then, you know, reporting on it with an art slant on the podcast. Yeah. And so what's happened since then is we have been doing our best to educate ourselves on issues surrounding systemic racism within artistic institutions specifically, but also on a larger, more broad scale socially. What we've noticed is that now we are tending to use that lens of examining systems and groups within the arts, just assuming that racism is present really in some way. And that brings us to this particular episode. On this episode, the first thing that you're going to hear is the original taping of the history of the Gorilla Girls. And you'll notice it's pretty lighthearted, but we will be following it up with a discussion about how the Gorilla Girls have responded or not responded to the discussions that are being held in arts and art spaces about systemic racism and our thoughts on that. We'll go into that recording now, and then we will have more to say to ground us in the context of what has happened since and further investigation that we have done into the Gorilla Girls themselves right after. Enjoy this segment. We'll talk to you afterwards. Is this where we play the intro music? Yeah. (laughs) 
Fading out so the guitar won't go over my voice and getting quieter. I thought that was a pretty good fade. You nailed it, honestly. I mean, thank you. I've been practicing. Greetings and salutations, Sotans. Welcome back to Sota, the podcast. I'm Jason McKenzie, and I remember to introduce myself this time. Excellent work. I am Sarah Kensler, and we're here to talk to you about some art stuff. It's 7.39 on a Monday night. Do you know where your art is? It's 9.39 on a Monday night. In fact, so you are in the past right now. I am, you are in my past and I am in Mm. your future and we are both in each other's present. Oh, you know what? You're right. How is, uh, how is it looking two hours ahead of, uh, in the future? Anything better yet? Do you have any good news for me? Okay. It's, 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 it's a par for the course, par for the course. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I have a way that we can probably make it better. No. As by talking about smart. Oh, yes. And nice. Yeah. Let's let's go into story time. Love it. Once upon a time, in the faraway land of Manhattan, there was a museum of modern art. It was the Museum of Modern Art. It was MoMA. (gasps) (laughs) There was an exhibition called An International Survey of Recent Painting and Sculpture, which was an exhibition organized by MoMA in 1984. And it was a, quote, response of sorts to persistent criticism by some artists and critics that MoMA had largely ignored the work of living artists. How can a museum of modern art ignore living artists? Well, I mean, there are, Modern art is a period in art history, and I know that people use the word modern to mean, like, current and today, uh, but in the art world, it, it does not mean the same thing. So, uh, if you say, like, oh, modern artists, they, they don't know what they're doing, I can't understand these modern artists, that would be the time period from, I don't know, nineteen. Teens to the beginning of the 70s is modern art, and past that is contemporary art. Postmodern and contemporary, and yes. So, uh, so yes, actually, if I were to go to a museum that was only modern art, I would be, you know, not surprised that there were not living artists. But MoMA is modern and contemporary art, even though they didn't add the and contemporary to their name. Please continue. I have digressed us long enough. I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a very important distinction for folks to know that modern is actually not in reference to uh, living and practicing artists in the 21st century. This exhibition contained 195 works by 165 artists from 17 countries and occupied two full floors of MoMA. Do you want to guess, Jasa, how many of those 165 artists were women? 
I don't know, Sarah. Uh, was it like 50? Uh, lower. Was it 15? Close. It was 13. <gasps> 13 women. Yeah. Um, and all the artists are white. <gasps> and they were from the U.S. or Europe. Uh, I mean, surprise, surprise. I know. Like, don't don't die. And just, just if, in case you're wondering, yes, there are more than 13 women artists. Really? Name, name, name 13 <laughs> women artists. Not you, Sarah. I know that you know 13 oh, women artists. Oh, okay. But I challenge anybody <laughs> really? in general just to name 13 women and non-binary artists. Think about it right now. And we're back. How did you do? I bet some people struggled. We'll get into that in a minute. Part of the reason that that people might be struggling is because uh, women artists have long been ignored, discounted. Purposefully kept out. Yeah. Bard. Bard College. Uh, And Annandale on Hudson. No. (laughs) Okay. So... The subject of this story is actually not this exhibition necessarily or MoMA. It is the Gorilla Girls. This is a group of women artists who came together to protest this exhibition. And they turned themselves into an organization and define themselves as the, quote, conscience of the art world. So why, might you ask, are they called the Gorilla Girls? <laughs> well, for a couple of reasons. The The main one was that they wanted to uh, adopt gorilla like gorilla warfare. So G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, um, which is like sneaky sneak warfare. Obviously not literal warfare, but like sneaky sneak activism, you know, like quiet impactful activism. Covert. Covert, yes. However, at an early meeting of the Gorilla Girls, one of the women wrote uh, gorilla like the animal instead of gorilla like the wartime tactic. So it was <laughs> uh, the, the one of the, found, actually the founder of the Gorilla Girls is still active today. Her name is Kathy Kolowitz, but that's not her real name. That is the name of a female artist, the members of the Gorilla Girls actually use names of famous female artists as pseudonyms for themselves. They say that it really focuses the attention on their activism and not themselves. Also, they are, many of them are practicing artists or work in the arts. And so it's risky to reveal your true identity in the sense she said that in talking about how they switched from gorilla, like G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, to gorilla, like the animal, said it was uh, an enlightened mistake and it gave them their mask ulanity, which is funny. Very clever. I love gorilla it. masks to hide their identity. <laughs> you know, they just kind of go from there. They create a lot of digital and visual media. And one of the most famous things that they do is that they count. They do a lot of counting. They count 
female artists in collections. They count female bodies as subject matter in collections. And so that's that's kind of the I really don't know the why they've never done a collaboration with Sesame Street. One, ah, two, ah, ah, three, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> that's very good. Actually, you should uh, you should probably write to Sesame Street and let them know that they need to do that. Something to think about when you're thinking about women as artists. Why is this a big deal? You might say. Why is it that we have to worry about this at all? If if women were good artists, wouldn't they get recognition? No, That's not a direct line. <laughs> not the problem. <laughs> it's important to note that the woman in art has a very particular function. The woman is always the muse. For great artists, nude women were subject matter that was uh, very easy to get, even if you were an artist that didn't make that much money, and it was very recognizable, and crowds were expecting that, and so women in the art world were objects. There isn't a lot of, well, there wasn't until the 60s or 70s, a lot of literature or research on women artists specifically. That's getting better now. There's a lot of debate currently about whether or not to acknowledge that the artist is a woman or if grouping artists by gender takes away from their artworks. That's something that we can't get into today because it's a very big conversation, but just something to keep in mind. The other thing to to keep in mind, too, when you think about why women might not be as recognized as men in the art world, museums, and and even museums here in the the Midwest, they're dependent on super rich collectors for donations of both funds and artworks. Can confirm that this is something that all large, at least encyclopedic institutions, and even, even specialized uh, institutions like, say, the Walker, they they have rich donors that they need to keep their doors open and keep their employees employed. And those people then have a large say in the type of work that the institution collects. I think that's getting a little bit better now in that there's a recognition in the art world that there needs to be a separation between the people providing the funds and the people building the collection. Because what has happened is you get a museum that's collecting not the history of art per se, but really art that only exists because of wealth and power, which is connected historically to white men, specifically in the late 19th and early 20th century when it was white men who had found their fortunes in the railroad or in oil creating these institutions. And so there's really a historical precedence for why women over time were just kind of dismissed as an idea of being a creative force. So let me tell you a little bit about what the Gorilla Girls do. They, like I said earlier, they actually create their own content 
one of the most famous things that they've created is this huge billboard. And actually, I'm pretty sure you can buy it. It was a billboard. You can get it as a bumper sticker. You can get it as a regular sticker. It's an image of a piece by Ong. Thank you, my undergrad art professor, for correcting my pronunciation of his name. Um, it is a a white woman in naked repose, as most of us are That's every day. That's what I'm doing currently. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's me all the time. Now I understand why all of those paintings during the Renaissance were of, like, naked women just hanging around with their boobs out. It was... <laughs> what else were they going to do with their time, right? I mean, during COVID, during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's, it's an image of, of, a, of a white woman in repose. Her face has been replaced by a gorilla mask. And there's text on the image that accompanies that woman. And it says, do women have to be naked to get into the Met Museum? Less than 5% of the artists in the modern art sections are women. But 85% of the nudes are female. Hmm. Hmm. It seems like... I don't know. No, it seems like that this would explain visually how women have been more prized for their bodies than for their brains or creative capacities. What? Classic. Never heard of I'm it sorry. Before. Was I supposed to act surprised? Um, the thing that the gorilla girls, girls are also really known for is their humor. They they often employ sexual innuendo. There's a sticker that I found that the, te- the text of the sticker says, Free the Women Artists of Europe. The image is of a, a woman, looks like she's in a party dress, actually, with a man sitting on her back, kind of like musical chairs if the woman was the chair. And the rest of the text says, Museums keep most of them in storage in the basement underneath the men. Tell them you want more women on top. And then it's got the URL for the Gorilla Girls website so there's things like that um they're known to be cheeky i'm happy about it yeah well um did you know that the gorilla girls actually came to minneapolis in 2016 i did because at that time i was doing an assistantship with a little thing called altered aesthetics and we were part of the gorilla girls minneapolis takeover twin cities takeover yep that you were that was the i think that was like one of the first times i'd ever heard of altered aesthetics all those years ago look at that and now here we are look at that and now here we are one of the ways in which the gorilla girls have been criticized is actually the same way that a lot of second wave feminism is criticized in that it is exclusionary to trans non-binary and women of color you know which is yeah that's that's a real thing. At MCAD, at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, the Gorilla Girls went and did a talk on their approach and their history and took some questions. Something that they did not address in that talk was that they had received an email from a couple of students at MCAD who were trans or non-binary or women of color And they just said, you know, could you maybe tone it down with the very traditional female-specific metaphors 
we are in this fight with you and want to be included. And the response that the Gorilla Girls gave back to that group was essentially, well, you know, like the things that we do that highlight femininity are a joke and you need to learn to take a joke and not be so serious. And that is not as much of a paraphrase as I would like. That is in an article that was written for the the Twin Cities Daily Planet, and I will be including a link in the show notes. Actually, you'll be able to find all of my all of my research links in the show notes. And you know, that's that's pretty common. Like feminism, it's it's usually historically dominated by white cisgender women. And that, that was the same for the suffrage movement as well. So the Guerrilla Girls have some work to do there in their inclusivity. And it would really, yes. when feminism wins, we all win. Right? Yes. Inclusive feminism. Yeah. Yeah, what do I want to say here? That's Interdisciplinary right yeah. feminism. Yeah. Interdisciplinary feminism. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that I found that I was really surprised at is that the Gorilla Girls have actually been included now in an establishment. Uh, their, their posters, their uh, historical archive, um, their history has been acquired by the Getty Research Institute, which was founded by, by um, a rich white man, Paul Getty, who was a rich white man. You got it. Um, so that's, that's kind of weird, right? Mm, no, because it's typical or yes, because it's contradictory. So I'm going to go with yes and no. Yes and no. It's so complicated. Oh, goodness. So that was my that was my brief history on the uh, Gorilla Girls. <laughs> They're still active today. Only one of the members, Kath Colowitz, uh, Colwitz, is original. The rest of them, you know, some of them have come in for a couple of weeks. Some of them have been a couple of months or a couple of years. But Kath Colowitz is the only remaining member that was uh, part of the original group in 1984. Wow, what a history! Indeed, history is fun. Well, thank you, Sarah. That was a very fun and informative little uh, <laughs> little snippet on the Gorilla Girls. I really enjoyed it. If people wanted to learn more about Gorilla Girls, what would you suggest that they do? Well, um, the first thing that I would recommend is to actually sign up for the Soda Podcast newsletter. That way, when our episodes come out, not only will you get an email with a link to the audio for the episode, but you will also get all of our links, our research links, any interesting photos or anything like that directly in your email. How convenient. So convenient. It's the most convenient, in fact. Wonderful. I am so looking forward to going to sign up for our newsletter right now. <laughs> <laughs> Aw, <laughs> but uh, the other thing that you could do if you if you don't want to do that, but you should, but you don't have to, or in uh, addition to perhaps, or in addition to, yep. Also, you can go to gorillagirls.com. That's g u e r r i l l a girls. dot com. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Sarah, for enlightening us on this very uh 
you know, cheeky and enlightening. Uh, oh, God, I've oh run no. out of descriptive words. We're out of words. words. We're out of time. What can we do? Ah. On this very seminal bit of art history. Hmm. You're welcome, Jace. It was my pleasure to provide this educational experience. Thank you so much for listening to that overview of the Gorilla Girls. Here's the part where Jason and I discuss the update that we have for the Gorilla Girls and what they're up to. So as we mentioned, the Gorilla Girls have always focused on feminism. They are feminist activist artists They use facts, humor, and outrageous visuals to expose gender and ethnic bias, as well as corruption in politics, art, film, and pop culture. And that was taken directly from their website, which is gorillagirls.com. However, I went to their website and their Instagram and their Facebook and their Twitter looking to see what their response would be, not only to George Floyd, not only to the uprisings in Minneapolis, but to the existence of systemic racism within art spaces. I feel like as a group of artists who focus so heavily on cultural norms that exploit one group of humans, in this case specifically women, P.S., I'm including trans women in my definition of women. I know in the previous segment, we talked about how the Gorilla Girls really didn't even address trans women outright. They should. That's... Preach. uh, That's... It could... Actually, it should be really its own additional topic. Maybe we'll do something about that in the future. But for now, suffice it to say that the Gorilla Girls uh, focus on on women as the as the oppressed. What I what I was kind of hoping for was to have the Gorilla Girls post something that specifically stated their support for the Black Lives Matter movement, support for black artists calling for by POC artists to receive different types of funding, receive more opportunities for grant givers and funders and institutions to be more aware of how they receive applications for those programs and how they might dismantle the systemic racism that exists within those programs that keeps by POC artists out. I expected them to discuss the overwhelmingly by POC and low class people who were being let go by large art institutions whose budget is many millions of dollars a year and whose executive leadership team each make six digits a year. And yet it is always the folks who are making the least amount of money in those situations who are let go. I expected something about that. And then I expected that the Gorilla Girls might take a moment to think about how they define their mission and how their mission might be updated so that it might 
do better at addressing the needs that have developed in this time, in this millennium. Was there anything that you were looking for specifically from them? Just, you know, generally they pack so much of a punch. You know, usually, I I guess I would have thought that if I would have gone to their website or social media or something that, you know, there would have been some kind of clever design saying, you know, something in relation to museums, the art world, something like that, um, you know, about struggles of POC women because they're, you know, a feminist collective in their usual style. And, you know, usually they're very sarcastic and tongue in cheek and really make a high impact with their succinct and curt words that, you know, make make a good point. Yeah. What I would have expected. Yeah. And I, I don't think that those expectations are out of left field. I, I think that they... It's what they do. It's like Right. I mean, their very approach to systemic oppression in any, in any form in the arts has been to create witty, bantery pieces that have text and images of a gorilla and... They call out museums on specific actions. They, they've just, in the past, have been very specific about what they fight for. Which is apparently not by POC people. Apparently not. So I just want to go over <laughs> the research that I did. So I, I just was kind of curious about this. And I, you know, I expected all of those things that Jason and I previously mentioned and... I thought maybe I was missing something. I thought that maybe I I was just missing something and there was a there was a bigger project maybe going on and and so, you know, that's that's why I wasn't seeing anything right away about it. But no. I uh did some looking and it's not yeah, it it's not any any better than what I thought it was. So um, I'm just going to take you through what they have posted because we have some thoughts about that as well. They have been posting. It's not like they've been completely silent. It's just, you know, they've been completely silent about certain things. Been posting minimally. Also. Yes, that is correct. So on their Twitter, which is at Gorilla Girls, all one word, they posted, let's see. So if we go back to... May 7th, which was Mother's Day. They've got a post about Mother's Day, so that's fine. And then from May 7th to June 3rd, there's nothing. In between there, George Floyd was was killed on May 25th. And so it was usually like within the week that art institutions in particular were kind of getting their getting their stuff together to make an official statement. And we actually do have an entire episode about statements that artistic institutions made about Black Lives Matter, about George Floyd, about the police, etc. We have a whole discussion about that in a previous episode that I believe is called Artistic Responses to Black Lives Matter. So on June 3rd, they post the following statement. The acts of police violence in the U.S. are crimes against the humanity. Okay, that's good. At an alarming rate, darker-hued people are subjected to genocidal practices executed by institutions rooted in colonialism. What can we do about it? Okay. So, 
That does not rub me the right way. It it does not, for me either, rub the right way. Is that is that grammatically correct? I don't know. No, it, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. I just want to break that down a little bit. So we've got the acts of police violence in the U.S. are crimes against humanity. You know, I think that would have been fine a couple of years ago. But to sit, to be so broad and so vague, it's tiring. It's tiring. It's a little all lives matter A little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, they're crimes against humanity. Like, yes, but that's not like what the conversation is right now. We're not talking about humanity. We're talking about by POC lives. Specifically, yes. And then the next paragraph says, at an alarming rate, darker-hued people are subjected to genocidal practices executed by institutions rooted in colonialism. Now, those two things, I feel like they don't quite make sense when they are combined in that way. First of all, there's something about their use of darker-hued people to describe by POC that kind of... It would have saved them characters if they would have said by POC, which is the more, you know, socially approved, I don't know, PC... It's, it, it, I mean, it is, but it's all, it's, by POC is inclusive. Yeah. It recognizes that it is not just skin color, it is also racial background or assumptions of racial background that exist that law enforcement uses as a weapon, basically uh, a reason to be more violent and darker hued people. I mean, no one has ever used that. Like that's not approved by the communities that they're talking about. It's almost funny in a, Oh, there's like, you know, my grandpa's like being slightly racist again. It reads to me like if you're slightly tan, you might be subjected to genocidal practices. Oh, my God. (laughs) I I mean, am I like, is that out of? Yeah, no, I like skin color doesn't equate to race and identity and how you get treated in society in a absolute kind of a way, you know, because, you know, just how people present or, you know, we hear the term white passing or what have you so much like this isn't, you know, it's not a direct 100% correlation. They really narrowed their focus with this use of the term darker hued people it sounds really weird and it sounds like they don't know what to say. And that's bothersome because they've already been so broad, too broad. The rest of that paragraph says that they are subjected to genocidal practices executed by institutions rooted in colonialism. Now, as an art historian, I tend to agree that yes, there are genocidal oppressive practices used by institutions that are rooted in colonialism. I don't know that genocidal is quite the correct term to use as the institutions rooted in colonialism, in our case, are art museums, art collections, art auctions, the sense of of belonging when it comes to owning a work of art. That's all rooted in colonialism. To say that it's genocidal... 
it just doesn't quite fit. If they wanted to say that it's that it's genocidal when it comes to law enforcement in the United States, I think you've got a case to make there. I think that there's perhaps a way in which the way that law enforcement seems to be actively targeting by POC citizens and and non-citizens alike. It, it has a genocidal tinge to it, but but genocide has an entirely larger meaning. And I think in this case, they could have made more headway by acknowledging the violence. Just say violent practices, because that is correct. Violence can be on a scale. Genocide can't really, it doesn't really exist on a scale. It's your... I mean, committing genocide is is a huge act, and it this again reads like they tried too hard and they missed the mark. I don't understand why they're why they're combining genocidal practices with institutions rooted in colonialism. I haven't I haven't seen a way in which institutions uh, resort to genocidal practices. There's definitely oppressive practices but museums aren't out there killing by POC folks. So I I don't think that that quite works. The last sentence is, what can we do about it? Well, Gorilla Girls, what can you do about it? You could do some reading. You could maybe not ask your public to answer that question. Yeah, didn't they prompt people to comment? They did. um, So I'm looking at their Twitter, which got some likes, but it's more... On their Instagram, they got some responses. They also made a video about acts of violence, police violence in the community, in the United States, and and how they wanted suggestions, and they wanted people to tag organizations. And that's, like, that's fine. But also, you know, asking people to do this work for you is not, not appropriate anymore. I think the time has come and gone for white people to be asking for constant assistance and reference and suggestions from by POC communities. And that's the message that I'm getting from a lot of by POC authors that are writing right now as well. So again, this rubs me the wrong way that they're just like, what can we do about it? I mean, it seems like a pretty easy question to answer. Say that you're anti-racism. Say that you're anti-colonialism. Call out specific states. Call out specific acts of violence. I mean, come on. I mean, it shouldn't... Well, if we're going to go all the way back, it shouldn't even like be a problem in the first place. Uh, but, I mean, I mean, yes, I guess, like, dismantling, like, ingrained things in our culture that have existed for hundreds of years, yes, is hard, but is worth it and necessary. And, you know, now is the time when you have an audience is to put yourself on the right side of history, support communities that need to be supported. And yes, you know, it is correct to be sensitive to how by POC would, would prefer you to, you know, engage, participate, etc. Because you don't want to overstep and think, oh, oh, I can fix this. Let me fix this. Or, oh, I can do something. And then you're just getting in the way or you're not doing it correctly. Um, so, you know, obviously 
consideration towards the oppressed communities is absolutely necessary. But I don't know. It's just so passive. It's kind of like, I care. Tell me how I should care. Oh, that's a very good point. I care, but tell me how I should care. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm wondering out loud, is it difficult for art institutions? And I, I would actually, if, funny enough, I would kind of count the Gorilla Girls collective as, you know, a, an art. Art historical institution. They're, they're a staple in art history. Oh, a staple. That's, that's a very good, that's a very good point. Yes. A staple in the arts community. So, you know, a, an establishment within the arts community, certainly. Should it be hard for them to put something together? I, I'm just wondering why it appears that, you know, artistic staples of the community like the Gorilla Girls and artistic institutions have been, that have been around for literal generations, why it seems that they have such a hard time saying, hey, Black Lives Matter. The police are being overly violent and targeting the BIPOC community. We should stop that. Here's how art can help. We've done that, and we have not been around as long, nor have much of an influence as they do. Jisa, how indicative do you think that this statement is about the racial makeup of the members of the Gorilla Girls? It makes me think that they're probably all white because otherwise they would have an internal person leading the conversation. That is what I imagine. I would hope that everything that I've read about the Gorilla Girls being demanding, outspoken, strong women would then lead them to a demanding, outspoken and strong conversation about race within their own organization and that that would impact any public statements that they make about that subject. I'm going to just kind of focus on their Instagram now. That seems to be the most on the most recently updated thing. So the next thing that they posted was a post about Juneteenth and they link a website and it links to a petition after that is a post about their project called the male gaze but they've changed the word gaze to graze which is very punny and very you know gorilla girlsy <sighs> has nothing to do with race you guys has nothing to do with race i think that this would be an excellent time for the gorilla girls to address the fact that their particular brand of feminism does not include by poc women not only that but we've been talking so much about what we want or what, you know, people want from places that need to work on this area specifically, uh, which is to outline clear cut ways that they're going to make changes and improve in the future. Right. The best kind of activist group and I'm and I am saying this specifically for the arts. The arts is my area. And I feel confident in saying directly to the Gorilla Girls that now would be the time. Now would be the time to do some investigating, some internal reflection. 
maybe. Maybe start a journal. Maybe maybe ask yourself some questions. Maybe read some books about how to be an anti-racist. I don't know. Make a stance and reinvent your yourselves. Now is the time for you to say, in the past, we recognize that our brand of feminism has focused on white women, white, straight women. You did get a little into, you know, maybe the white gay women can get into. Maybe. I don't know. It seems like they might be able to, but that was just kind of quiet. What about trans women? What about BIPOC trans women? The Gorilla Girls have a lot to answer for already when it comes to inclusion issues, and I find it disturbing, if not entirely hypocritical, of them to be calling out institutions that perpetuate a system of colonization when within their own organization, they exclude those same groups. As always, we'll be linking some uh, linkity links in the show notes to the Gorilla Girls, to their social media, etc. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will see you next time. And as always, our music is by Fondre. All right, so should we end the episode? Yeah, we can end the episode. Right now? Yeah, probably. Now? Bye. You always go right now. Right now. And stop. <laughs>